morning. Welcome to Southwoods. We're so glad you're here. Glad you're here uh, in person with us. Glad you're watching live stream with us this morning. Oh, this is a beautiful day because it's cold and I love it. <laughs> I might be the only one, but I think, you know, there's sometimes when you just think the Lord does stuff just for you. I feel like that all the time. Yeah, he doesn't love me the most, but he definitely loves me. So I'm so excited about that. So um, thanks for being here. A few announcements. Um, connect card in front of you, in the seat in front of you. Um, scan it to log on to our website. Or if you're new, um, fill it out because we want to connect with you and make sure we get that card. Um, grab communion if you haven't done that already. We're going to be doing that a little bit later in the service, so make sure you uh, make it back there to get that. This is important, y'all. Snow team. Important because snow is coming. Y'all, I'm so excited. I can't help it. All right, so in the back, there's a sign-up, and we need you to sign up today because I think there's snow coming either Monday night, Tuesday, I don't know. It's coming up. So we need you to sign up today. Uh, women's brunch is coming up Saturday, November 19th for all women in the church. Uh, make sure you get the information you need. You can talk to um, our wonderful Lori Montague, or there is a card in the back with information. All right. Uh, next Sunday, November 20th, Christmas decorating is going to be happening right after the church service. So, um, Make sure you stick around for that if you can. It's a beautiful time together to decorate the church, to celebrate our Lord Jesus. And Natalie Crow is going to be organizing that, so you can talk to her if you have questions. And we have some ways to give. Um, I don't know if it's up there. Oh, there, there it is. Three ways to give. Um, you can see that up there on the screen. So uh, just let the Lord lead you when you're giving, and um, he will provide, and he'll tell you what to do. Um, before I pray, I want to just uh, read the scripture to you because it's kind of been on my heart all week. And it's from Nehemiah 8.10. It says, the joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Can you please say that with me? The joy of the Lord is my strength. That's powerful, right? Joy, we have to choose it. We have to seek after it. We have to choose it, and we have to seek after it. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And I want you to feel that joy, the joy of the Lord, and gain some strength this morning during our time of worship. Let's pray. Lord God, we're so grateful to you for every person in this building, every person who hears my voice, everyone who is able, Lord, to just enter in to your presence this morning. Have your way in and through us. Speak to our hearts. Help us, Lord, to choose joy. Give us strength to seek after it. And Lord, may this place be filled with the joy that only you can bring. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand up. Open prison doors, 
tell you about my Jesus. He makes a way where there ain't no way. Rises up from an empty grave. Ain't no sin that he can't say. Let me tell you about my Jesus. His love is strong and his grace is free. And the good news is I know that he can do for you what he's done for me. Let me tell you about my Jesus. Let my Jesus change your life.
a seat. Um, at the beginning, I talked about joy. The joy of the Lord is our strength. That we need to choose it, seek after it. We need to be about keeping joy in our life. Because the world around us is ugly. But the joy of the Lord will keep us strong. It'll help us to stand in faith when there are struggles all around us. This morning, if you came in here and you're struggling with joy, it's been on my heart for actually more than a week because I've been struggling with it a little bit myself. So I'm going to be honest. I need joy, and I need to choose after it, and I need to seek it like I haven't before. And there's joy in one other place. There's lots of joy all over the Bible, and Christ brings that to us. But there's joy in our salvation. We're about ready to take communion. And the bread, representative of Jesus' body, and the, the juice, representative of Jesus' blood. When we take that and we remember what he's done for us, that should help to restore the joy of our salvation. Because it's only by him that we are saved. It's only through him that we are saved. And this morning, if that's not you, please don't leave this place without talking to somebody. We want you to have joy in your life. That joy will bring you strength. And your salvation, the joy of your salvation can be restored if you're struggling with that this morning. Ask him. Ask him to help you as we remember what he's done and as we say thank you. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, thank you for joy. Thank you that you can restore the joy of our salvation. And thank you that salvation is real and available to absolutely everyone who seeks after it. All we have to do is ask. And there you are. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you have done for us on the cross. We could not be where we are. We could not be in this place, we could not be, our names couldn't be written in the Lamb's Book of Life if it wasn't for you. And so we are grateful to you this morning for all that you have done. And we want to remember that as we take the bread and the juice. We love you. We praise you. We thank you for absolutely everything that you do, who you are. Yesterday, today, and forever, you never change. You're always an amazing God. And it's in the name of your son, Jesus, that we celebrate this morning that we pray. Amen. You can take communion.
Greg Montague. If you're new to Southwoods, uh, I'm the pastor here. Thrilled that you're with us, uh, whether you're here on site or online. And just trust that uh, this morning's service has already been a blessing. And I hope that uh, as we look at Scripture this morning, that God's Spirit will work in spite of me through His Spirit to touch your heart, your life to strengthen you. So, recently heard about a father who was watching his small son through the kitchen window. His son was out in the sandbox, and he was struggling to lift a large stone out of the sandbox and get it out of there. The boy wrestled with the heavy object, trying to get enough leverage to push it over the side. The little boy was really frustrated. After numerous attempts, the boy finally sat down, exasperated, dejected on the edge of his sandbox, his head in his hands, and he just gave up, gave up. The father who had been watching from the window walked outside and asked his son, what's wrong? I can't lift that rock out of the sandbox, the boy said. Have you used all the strength that's available to you, the father asked. Yes, the boy dejectedly responded. I'm not sure you have, dad replied. You haven't asked me to help you yet. Most of us have a lot in common with that little boy. I mean, he's younger than we are, we're older than he is, and so forth, but we still have a lot in common. We don't like weakness, and we really don't like to ask for help. That's pretty common among us. We'd prefer to be strong and never need assistance. All of us would really like that, wouldn't we? But one of life's difficult lessons that all of us have to learn is that everyone is going to experience weakness. Everybody's going to know what it's like. Whether you want to or not, it just comes, it's, it's an inheritance of life that, uh, that all of us have to endure. And ironically, the Bible teaches that character strength and real spiritual power are more likely to be found in times of weakness than at any other time. That's not how we wish it was. But according to Scripture, that is how it is. Whether we like it or not, it's a counterintuitive thing. It's a spiritual principle we all need to remember, a spiritual principle we need to accept that there's strength that can be found, believe it or not, even in weakness. And today, I want to highlight that for you from the pages of Scripture. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to open them with me this morning to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to look at a famous passage of Scripture that uh, has been taught in Christian circles for, for generations. All of us who are trying to follow Jesus need to be familiar with this passage. All of us who struggle with weakness need to remember this passage, uh, certainly periodically, and for many of us just on a really regular basis. And so... Uh, I'm going to read a few verses to you. They were originally written by the great apostle Paul. I hope you'll listen carefully as we look at these verses, what he tells us about strength and weakness. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, we're going to start at verse 2, and here's what he writes in the New Living Translation. He says, I was caught up to the third heaven 14 years ago. And let's pause right there. Because some of us say, the third heaven, what's he talking about? The first heaven, when you look at Scripture and you break it down, it describes the first heaven is, is the air we breathe. It's the first heaven. The second heaven is the stars, the constellations that are in the sky out there. It's, it's the second heaven. The third heaven, 
when you read Scripture, is the dwelling place of God. It's the eventual destination of all who put their faith in Jesus. It's, it's paradise. It's, it's where God himself dwells, and you and I will go. So, so let's read it again. I was caught up, Paul says, to the, in, to the third heaven 14 years ago. He says, whether I was in my body or out of my body, I don't know, only God knows. Yes, only God knows whether I was in my body or outside my body, but I do know that I was caught up to paradise and heard things so astounding that they cannot be expressed in words, things no human is allowed to uh, to tell. He says, that experience is worth boasting about, but I'm not going to do it. I will boast only about my weaknesses. Now, that's a strange statement if you pause and think about it. I will boast only about my weaknesses. He goes on and says, If I wanted to boast, I would be no fool in doing so because I would be telling the truth. But I won't do it because I don't want anyone to give me credit beyond what they can see in my life or hear in my message. And that's just beyond the scope of what we're going to talk about. That's just interesting thought. You know, I don't want people to give me credit for anything beyond what they can see in my life or hear in my message. All things you get to keep when you die. Okay, it's worth noting. He goes on and says, verse 7, even though I have received such wonderful revelations from God. So to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power, Jesus told him, Works best in what? What's Jesus say? In weakness. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses, Paul writes, so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong, he says. You know, for the next couple of minutes, I want to highlight for all of us two insights from this passage that are really important for all of us to understand and appreciate. And to, we just need to know these things as followers of Christ. Both of these insights run contrary to our natural way of thinking. But understanding both of these insights is very important for our emotional, mental, spiritual health and well-being. We need to grasp these if we're going to be well, if we're going to accomplish God's purposes for our life, if we're going to make sense of all that life throws our way in the course of our lives. So I hope you'll listen really close for the next couple of moments as we highlight these insights. The first insight from the passage is this. It's a faulty assumption. We're going to highlight a faulty assumption that shows up, and it's it's sort of inferred in the passage, and I want you to see it. Here's the faulty assumption that many people make about life. You know, you and I tend to think that encounters with God, we tend to think that seeing a miracle or having an angelic visitation or some amazing spiritual experience like that, we tend to think that that is what would make someone emotionally, mentally, and spiritually strong. If, I ju- if God just spoke to me, if I just knew from him what was next, if I just, and, you know, we're looking for God to do something 
miraculous, special in our lives and so forth. And we just think that would, that would clarify my understanding and it would strengthen me. The Holy Spirit is telling us through the Apostle Paul's testimony in today's passage, that's not true. The truth is, that's a lie. And it may or may not strengthen you. You don't know. I don't know. I want you to think about this. The great Apostle Paul had lots of amazing spiritual experiences. We don't have time to recount all of them, but he personally met Jesus in a blinding light on the road to Damascus, if you remember. And on top of that, it wasn't just that he met Jesus, but he was blinded temporarily. And if you remember, he was healed later by Jesus through the intervention of Ananias. Acts 9, go back and read if you haven't read it in a while. It's an amazing passage. The Apostle Paul experienced and participated in numerous miracles. I mean, he was used by God to do some astonishing things. I mean, he was so amazing that, I mean, I, I think of like he was in jail and chains and God sends an earthquake and breaks the chains off of his hands and the prison doors open and an angel escorts him out of jail. Was that, would that be an amazing spiritual experience? Duh, of course it would. And according to verses 2 through 4 here in our text, the Apostle Paul visited heaven. I mean, he, he saw paradise with his own eyes, saw things that he couldn't describe, things that just weren't, would, he couldn't even, he couldn't put it in a language that we could fully grasp. He says in verse 4, uh, verse four I was caught up to paradise and heard things so astounding they can't be expressed in words. Things no human's allowed to tell. So he's not only seeing things that can't be expressed, but some of them are things that, like, he just couldn't tell us. God wouldn't allow him to tell, talk about. Do you get the picture? I mean, Paul's spiritual experiences were stunning, astonishing. 2 Corinthians 12 says. But did you notice as we read those verses what those amazing spiritual experiences and revelations did in Paul's life. Did you notice that they actually tempted him towards something? Did you notice that? Shows up in the middle of verse 7 where Paul writes these words. He says, so to keep me from becoming, say it with me, proud, to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming, and he echoes it again, Keep me from becoming proud. Here's what Paul was saying. You know, the amazing spiritual experiences that were a part of his life, they did not produce in him emotional, mental, spiritual strength. They didn't. Instead, what did they produce? They tempted him towards pride. Which, if you think about it, Pride in a person's life only serves to weaken his or her character and grieve the Holy Spirit if indulged. It's got to be repented of. It's got to be overcome. It weakens the soul. It doesn't strengthen it. So according to the text, God himself preventatively intervened in Paul's life to, to protect him, to strengthen him, in a counterintuitive way. Better understand all this, I want to point out a, a couple of things just real quick from verse 7. If you look at verse 7, Paul, Paul says, I was given a thorn 
in my flesh. What's he talking about? He's not talking about a literal thorn, okay? I mean, I know some of us maybe think that way, but that's not what he's talking about. He's speaking figuratively. I mean, you think of what a thorn does in your body. If it's in your foot and you go walking, you know, along the street, you know, you go running. I think of McCole Hardman. He's had kind of a spur in his heel. And so he's like, slows him down, makes it so he can't cut when he uh, runs a route, uh, you know, on the football field. I mean, this is, these are the things that thorns do in your body. They create discomfort. They can produce a limp. They can produce pain, and they get your attention and, and influence how you behave or walk or so forth. Paul's saying, I was given a thorn in my flesh. And he goes on and clarifies, he said, a messenger from Satan. Well, the Greek word for messenger in the Bible, the Greek word is angelos. That's the Greek word. And angelos is, another way of translating it, is angel. Angel. Los, Los Angeles. Los Angeles. City of angels, kind of the idea there. This is, this is what he's trying to say. He says it's a messenger of Satan. It's trans- it depends on the context, how you translate it, whether it's a messenger or angel. But here's the thing. Angels, in a biblical sense, always messengers. Always messengers, they're not just gratuitously showing up in your life. They're, they're there for a reason, to communicate something from God to you, so, or to serve you or serve the people, a circumstance in some way. So they're always messengers. So he's saying, you know, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan. That's interesting, but we'll come back to it. To torment me and keep me from becoming proud. It's that word torment, though, I want you to notice that. It's a boxing term. It can also be translated, punch me, to harass me, to knock me around. I mean, that's the idea of the Greek word there. And in practical terms, Paul was saying, I was given a thorn in my flesh, an angelic messenger from Satan to harass and knock some sense into me. Think of it that way, maybe a paraphrased way of saying it. And again... He tells us why, to keep me from becoming proud. Here's the surprising part for some of us, because it's, again, it's counterintuitive. He says, I mean, I want you to notice, the thorn that's there comes from who, according to the text? A messenger from, from Satan, right? But who allowed the thorn into his life? if you read on in the text. Who gave the thorn to Satan, to Paul, really? Who gave it? Really, it was the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus did it. He did it as an expression of love and grace towards Paul. Now, we have a hard time understanding this because we underestimate the destructive nature of pride. I mean, that is our general tendency, all of us who are human. We, we underestimate the power, the corrosive, the corruptive nature of pride. We forget that according to the Bible, pride was the very first sin. It was committed by Lucifer. We forget that it led to all of the destruction and evil that we now see on a daily basis. Without pride in the beginning, we wouldn't have all the problems we have in the world now. So we forget the trickle-down, the, the ripple effect of pride 
in a world or in a life? In a life. And what's fascinating and dark and painful to think about all at the same time is it began with one and it spread to everyone. That's what it's done. It's, it's metastasized throughout the earth and humanity throughout time. The Bible is clear here that from the Lord, that it was the Lord Jesus who gave this thorn to Paul as an expression of his grace to protect him from the destructive evil of pride in his life. And Paul asked repeatedly for it to be removed from his life. But listen to Jesus who refused and how he talks about it, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, he says, Paul writes, each time he said, he's quoting Jesus, my grace is all you need. Some of the old translations, my grace is sufficient for you. He goes on and says, my power works best in weakness. Could Jesus have removed this thorn? Yes, he could have. But he allowed it to remain and said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness, which brings us to the second insight that we need to take note of in this passage. And it's a spiritual truth. We, we need to remember this truth. Jesus states it really clearly for Paul, for all of us in verse 9, that my grace, Jesus says, is all you need. My power works best in weakness. Now, I have a question for you. You suppose that Jesus' power and strength still work best in weakness? You suppose that Jesus would allow in our day weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, troubles, thorns, into our lives as a means to develop a greater good in us? Suppose he would do that? You know, if God would do it to Paul, and if he would do it to King Saul in the Old Testament like he did, go read 1 Samuel chapter 16 if you haven't read it lately, uh, I would say that there's a really good chance that it could happen to us as well. Probably does happen to us as well, perhaps on a more regular basis than we give it credit for. So let's talk for just a minute about what we do about that. What do we do about that? Scripture's clear. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Okay? So if he'd do it back then, he'll do it now. I just thought I'd clarify that because I just thought some of you are still debating with me in your mind. He would still do that. But here's what I want us to think about, just what do we do? Since weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, troubles don't always come from the Lord, okay? So you with me? Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't, right? He's always allowing, but sometimes they're at his initiation, sometimes not. How do we respond if we're getting beaten up by a thorn? What do we do? We should do what Paul did, 1 Corinthians 12. Or, uh, second Corinthians 12. First, what did Paul do? He begged the Lord to take it away. It's right there in verse 8. 
Ask the Lord to take it away. Plead, pray, be persistent. Fast and pray. Seek the Lord. It's appropriate to do. There is absolutely no harm in that. And in fact, scriptures are also clear. Sometimes we have not because we ask not. It's like the little boy that we started with. You know, we just, we're sitting there sulking and all we'd have to do is ask. And God who has been watching and just waiting for us to invite his strength into the event. I mean, he's just waiting for us. So ask. But second of all, if after all of that you hear from the Lord, like Paul did, my grace is all you need. My power works best in ways. Then here's what we need to do. At that point, we've got to ask the Lord for more of His enduring, sustaining grace and presence and power and strength from above. It's not enough to just sit and feel bad. We we have got to plead with God for more of His strength, more of His presence in our lives, more of His Spirit. We need to be filled with more of Him in us. Because that's the only way you stand up in that environment. This is part of why Jesus was so concerned in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's praying and he says, can't you even pray with me for an hour, he says to his disciples. And, you know, they're going to sleep and he's saying, pray that you don't fall into temptation. What what was that really about? It's just like because of what was about to come upon them, it was so beyond them that he's just saying, you need more of the Holy Spirit in your life. You, you need help from above. And, and there are plenty of times in every one of our lives we need help from above, more of the Holy Spirit. But the next step, the thing we need to do, is as counterintuitive as the principle that, you know, there's power and strength to be found in weakness. It's, this is just not how we think, but here's a third thing that we do if we find ourselves in a situation where You know, we've got these thorns and they're not leaving. We need to pray for God's power and healing and blessing to be released in the lives of others around us who are experiencing our exact same areas of weakness and hardship and trouble. Why would I do that, some of you are thinking. Here's why. Jesus says, My power works best in weakness, in weakness. The Greek word for power here in Jesus' word is the word dunamis. It's the word we've imported into our language as dynamite, dynamite. Jesus is speaking of more than simply strength here. It means strength, but it's it's like strength on steroids is, is the word, really, is what you have to think about. And Jesus wants us to understand, think with me about this, what if his miraculous, explosive, supernatural, prayer-answering power flows best through our lives when we're weak? Perhaps this is why when you read the book of Acts, all of the apostles you know, who are healing people and casting out demons and doing all kind of stuff. You watch it, and it's just, it, it's like astonishing. And we all watch that, and we think, I would love to have that kind of anointing in my life. That's what believers think. I, I would love that. Sure you would. 
Would you like to have the harassment and the fact that you're being thrown in prison and that nobody likes you and that on and on, all the, all the dark sides of what the, every one of them went through? I mean, is, that, is that what you want? I mean, we all want blessing without pain, right? Come on. That's what we want. That's just human nature. But Jesus wants us to understand that his power works best. When you and I are weak. So when we're weak and when we're feeling beaten down and we've sought God for relief, what do you do? He wants us to understand that we need to look for opportunities to pray for the sick, to pray for those who need freedom from addiction, to pray for those in need, to pray for the oppressed, to pray for God's power to be released in the lives of others around us. And here's the thing, as you and I learn to do that, rather than just feeling sorry for ourselves or venting a bunch of anger towards God, as we learn to take the painful, weakened state of our present circumstances and focus on the needs of others around us and how do I, how do I plead with God to solve their problem? Mine's not being solved right now, but I, I will pray for your problem to be solved and your situation to be healed and a difference to be made in your life. As we do that, eventually we'll begin to see the world as Paul did because God shows up over and over and over again in Scripture through that. And that was Paul's worldview. That's why he says in 2 Corinthians 12.10, Now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses. Think about that. He takes pleasure in his weaknesses. The power of God flowing through his life, blessing the lives of others, actually transformed the sadness, the sorrow, the pain of a thorn into pleasure. Is that counterintuitive or what? I mean, it's crazy from a human standpoint. But it sounds a lot like Jesus, the scriptures tell us, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. That's counterintuitive too. Paul concludes verse 10 by saying, for when I am weak, then I'm strong. The difference between him and us, he's become comfortable with that. He's accepted reality that he can't change. He's accepted it. Often we go through life and we just keep fighting. Kicking against the Holy Spirit's work in our lives sometimes like this. I don't know what thorns, what weaknesses may be tormenting your life right now, but this I know, Jesus' promise is, my grace is all you need, and my power works best in weakness. So I want to ask you, like Paul, will you choose to trust Jesus in the midst of your weakness? Rather than complaining about it, rather than just being angry at God about it, Will you trust in the midst of it?
If you've this morning wandered off from God sometime in the past because you've become disillusioned by some thorn in your life, will you decide today that I'm going to come home to God? I'm, I'm going to trust in His goodness. Which is another key thing. I mean, will you trust in God's goodness and choose to believe that your thorn is somehow an opportunity? Somehow it's an expression of God's grace in your life, just as Paul's was. That it's not meant for your harm, but like Joseph and all the troubles came into his life that were meant for good, the thorn in your life is going to be a result in good in some way. And like Paul, we decide to look beyond the thorn to the needs, the hurts, the pain, the trauma of some of the people in your sphere of influence. I mean, don't, don't look at the world, capital W, out there and the far-flung reaches of, and think, oh, I can't do anything about that. No, who's in front of you? I mean, who is right near you? who's got pain in their lives, who's got hardship going on in their lives, trouble, they're being persecuted in some way in their, in their work environment, in their family. Or there's, instead of just being a recluse, will you decide, I'm going to move beyond my thorn and approach that person and pray for them, pray for their healing. Pray that God will benefit and bless their lives in every way you would want to happen if you were in their situation and see if maybe the Holy Spirit will show up in a way that you didn't expect. Not because he has to. Because Jesus says, my power, my dunamis, works best in weakness. I want to close with a quick illustration. How many of us like roses? Most all of us do. We like roses. They're beautiful. Um, do you throw out your roses simply because you sometimes get stabbed by their thorns? You just throw them out because of that. Really? Probably most of us don't, right? What do you do? You focus on the rest of the rose, right? That's what you do. It's beauty, it's aroma, it's color, it's graceful shape. You, sometimes you put them in single roses, sometimes you put them in clusters, you mix them. You, I mean, you just you enjoy the aromatic beauty that is the rose, and you accept what you can't change. That roses come with thorns. It's just the way it is. So you learn to avoid them to the extent you can, right? That's what you do. Friends, life comes with thorns too. And if we'll accept it, there is strength and beauty and grace and power to be found by those who choose to live for Jesus in the midst of life's thorns. That's what Paul learned to do. And that's what Jesus dreamed for us as 
is to learn to do as well. Let's, let's do that, okay? Help each other do that. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. We're going to close in prayer. Glad that you made it this morning. Hope that this morning's word from Scripture will strengthen you. Hope that you'll, the Spirit of God has spoken to you in some specific way that you'll try to put into practice what he's prompted you to do today. If you've never given your life to Jesus before, today would be a good day to do that. Not tomorrow, today. Open your heart to him. You're not promised tomorrow, neither am I. We have this moment. Today would be a good day to look heavenward and say, Lord Jesus, here I am. Receive me as your son, your daughter. In spite of my sins, would you, would you receive me, cleanse me? As we pray, just open your heart to Jesus in this way. Maybe you need to be baptized. Maybe you need prayer for some thorn in your life. Because the fact is, we all need prayer for those things. Come on down afterwards. We'll help you with that. All right, pray with you. Let's bow our heads, pray, and then we'll be dismissed. Glad you made it today. Lord Jesus, we thank you that your grace is what we need. And your power works best in weakness. Plenty of times we wish your power worked better in strength than it does. It's not that it doesn't, but you just said that it works best in weakness. Help us to Help us to learn whether weak or strong, whether in richness or poverty, whatever the circumstances, help us, Lord Jesus, to learn to be vessels through whom you can work to bless the lives of others around us. Help us to look beyond our pain, to trust, to serve, to make a difference in our world for you as you have done for us long ago on the cross. And Lord, help us to do that, not in some distant time, but today, tomorrow, as we come in contact with people. Help us to see them through your eyes and to be used by you for the good. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you've purchased our forgiveness. Would you cleanse us, make us yours afresh this day, this week. Help us to represent you well as we go throughout our week. Go with us now, Lord. We ask for this in the name of Jesus. And everybody agreed with me and said, amen. 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 Bless you all. Glad you made it today.